is a free download from Delancey Elam Church. We meet every Sunday morning at 10.30am in the Delancey Elam Church building at the Banks and Samsons in the Channel Island of Ghana. To contact us or find out more information about us, please visit our website at delanceyelam.co.uk. So I'm excited because it's great to be here with you guys and I'm excited because it's great to worship God and I'm excited because it's great to open up God's word and hear what it has to say to us today. So that's brilliant. I was told, I didn't realise, but I was told that it was uh, someone's birthday last uh, this week. Um, and yep, it happens to be Nigel's birthday, so we want to wish Nigel a happy birthday. And um, rumour has it it's 21, isn't it? 21. That's it. Excellent stuff. Good, good stuff. Well, um, I want to share a little something with you today. And um, I've just been, um, I just get so excited when I come to God's Word and I see new things in God's Word. It is such, such an amazing thing that we are living in a time today where we have the whole complete scriptures before us. I get so excited when I'm reading it and I see something. And I love it. I love it because the word of God is so powerful to change our lives and to transform us. The more we know and understand about God and his goodness and what's in here, the more our lives are just completely changed for, for the better. And so I'm excited to open up the scriptures today. And um, I'm sure you get that same feeling when you read God's word, that it's just an insight, a glimpse into who God is, his character, and, and we can devour his word. I, I don't know if you're like me, but sometimes you do struggle to get to it. Yeah? Um, maybe this is just me, but I often will have a look at my reading material and the Bible will be sat there along with an array of other things and often I do go and just pick other things to read because I forget about the power of God's word and how interesting and exciting it can be. Because sometimes when I'm reading it, I look at it and go, you know what, I just don't have a scooby-doo what God's talking about. I don't understand it, I don't get it. To be honest, I'm falling asleep reading it and I do get times like that. And so I need all the commentaries, everything I can do to help me understand this because I just don't get it a lot of the time. Often I find myself doing the same old thing, turning to the Psalms, turning to Proverbs, turning to the Gospels, that I find a little bit easier to help me understand God. So I do go and read all sorts of other things, which is great, and sometimes I forget just how amazing God's Word is and how great it is. So I'd like you to turn to Genesis chapter 2 with me this morning. And I want to ask us this question. What kind of God do we serve? What kind of God do we serve? I want us to go away from this morning and just be amazed at the God that we serve. And I know already that has started to happen, just standing in worship to be amazed at the God we serve. And so I want us to look at this passage in Genesis chapter 22, a well-known passage. And it's the testing of Abraham. So let's read this together. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. 
Then God said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. And on the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord came out to him from heaven. Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horn. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called this place, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. An excellent story passage there, probably very well known. But here we have God asking Abraham to sacrifice his child Isaac. Now let's just stop and think, put the pause button on for a moment and see what's going on here. Because we can be so familiar sometimes with stories that we've heard through our childhood, that we've talked about in Sunday school, that we've drawn pictures of and done fuzzy felts of and all sorts of different things. We can become so familiar that we kind of forget the impact of the story. Here is God asking a father to sacrifice his son. That's an amazing thing. And I start thinking when I read something like that, do I really want to worship a God who asks this of somebody? Because we know child sacrifice is an evil thing. And yet we've got a God here who's asking Abraham to go and do that. Do I want to worship a God that would go and ask someone to do that? And my answer's kind of got to be, well, not really. And then we could say, oh, but... God wasn't actually asking Abraham to do that. It was a test of faith. And you go, okay. But then it gets me thinking again, do, do I want to worship a God who would ask somebody just out of a test of faith to go and sacrifice their son, just to test them? And again, I, I get an uneasy feeling. I think to myself, well, I'm not sure I do. 
I'm not really sure that's the concept that I've got of God that goes around asking people to do bad things as a test. But I still choose to worship God, and so do you. And I still choose to put God as first in my life and adore him. So why? Because there's so much going on in this story, so much more beneath the surface of this story than just what we see. Because if I relay it just like that, just like I've said it, then you might think to yourself, well, what is this Christianity all about? Because if it was me and God came to me and asked me to sacrifice my child, I know full well my reaction. I know that I would protest and actually I would probably not be so very submissive and I'd probably turn my back on God. I think if God asked me to do that, I can imagine that would be my reaction. Because I say that, why? Because when God asks me to pray for someone or when God asks me to say a word for someone, I find myself then coming out sometimes in a cold sweat and wrestling with God about it and thinking, oh, I can't do it, I oh, I don't know, I don't want to do it, God. So I get scared, worried, and panicky about the small, little, minor things that God wants me to do with my life, let alone something as big as this. But Abraham's not shocked. Abraham doesn't protest. And actually, he's pretty calm. It actually says, the next morning, he got up and loaded his donkey. The next morning early in the morning even. Now, when God asks me to do things, I'm not very good at the next morning. I'm usually like a few days or a few weeks, a few months, the next year, and God's still going, are you going to do that? Are you going to do that? Are you going to go and pray for that person? Are you going to step out in faith? Are you going to tell someone about God? Or whatever it is that God is asking me to do. It takes me ages sometimes. But here at Abraham, it's like, okay, that's what I'm going to do. Early next morning, he gets up, he saddles his donkey, and he goes. Well, why does he do that? Well, we have to go further. We have to explore. And this is why I was saying the Bible I find so fascinating. Because all the way through, it's telling us something about God and revealing his nature to us. And we have to put on our 18th century BC, before Christ hats. That's what we've got to do. And we've got to see it through the eyes of the people back then and place it in context of what is going on at this time and why this story is so significant for these people and for us today. Because if we only just read it like that, we miss something. We miss something that's going on here of the nature of God. If we see it only as a test of faith, then maybe some of us, it might, it might leave us a little uneasy. So I want to take a little quick look just at the history of the religion of what's happening here. You see, what happened was humans began to understand and see that the survival of our species was dependent on things. It was dependent on food and water and sun and all these different things. They began to realise that, which led them to this understanding that everybody was dependent on unseen forces for survival, that these unseen forces were the dictators of how we lived, and they controlled us. And these forces were either on your side or they were against you. You either had favour with the forces or you didn't. And so you desperately wanted to keep the forces on your side. So what did you need to do? Well, back then, this is what they, they came up with. Their idea was, well, when harvest comes, we will give to these forces, we will give to the gods, and we will offer up our 
produce, our crops, our livestock, whatever it is, as a sign of gratitude, that's what we will do. Because we want the gods to be on our side, because our survival depends upon that. And so that's what they did. They would offer up their sacrifices to the gods. But what happened then, when they'd offered up their sacrifices and then the rain didn't come, or the sun didn't shine, or the animals got sick and got diseases, what did they conclude? The gods weren't on their side. They hadn't done enough. They hadn't offered enough to the gods. So they'd have to offer more. And they would go down this track of offering more and more and more to get the gods on their side to bring favour. Religion had built into it an anxiety. They were anxious. Were we going to be in favour? They never knew where they stood with the gods. The gods were angry, the gods were demanding, the gods would punish. And if you don't please the gods, then, you know, calamity will come. And then if things went really well for you, and the rains did come, and the sun did shine, and your livestock were healthy, well, what did you do then? Oh, well, the gods must be pleased with me. I will offer more as a sign of gratitude, as thankfulness for them blessing me. And so, again, they would offer more. But then what if they hadn't offered enough to say thank you? What if it wasn't quite enough and then something bad was going to happen again to them? And so, it didn't matter which way you looked at it, whether you were in favour or not, you were always giving more and you were always anxious about what the gods thought. So it was anxiety either way. So whether things went well or not, the response was the same. Let's just give more. Because we don't know quite where we stand with the gods. So you'd offer your crop, you'd offer maybe a bird, a lamb, a cow, I don't know, a goat, whatever it was, you would give that. You just, in your anxiousness, you'd offer more to them. So what next? What would be the most valuable thing that you could offer next to show how much the gods meant to you, how serious you were about gaining favour from the gods? It would be a child, of course, it'd be your child. That would be the most valuable thing that you could have to offer to the gods to show just how much they meant to you. And so on the edge of the Old Testament lurks this idea of child sacrifice. It was where religion took you. It was where your anxiousness took you to offer more and more and more so the gods would be on our side. Why do I say that? Well, that's because if you place this story in context of that, Child sacrifice was something that they understood. Child sacrifice was where the anxiety of religion had taken them. So here we have God speaking to Abraham, I want you to sacrifice your son. Why doesn't Abraham seem shocked? Why doesn't he argue with God? Because he knows what to do. Because he understands the the religion. He understands the times he's living in. The gods will demand what's most valuable to you and you will give it to them because if you don't, then you will probably pay the price. So Abraham sets off with Isaac. And on the third day, they reach the place. So for three days, they travel together. Isaac is as good as dead. And I'm not going to go down this route, but this is an amazing reflection of the story of Christ, the foreshadowing of Christ there. But this is the story. And so Abraham gets to that place of the altar, makes the altar, goes to sacrifice Isaac, his son, there. And just as he's about to do it, God intervenes and says, no, Abraham, don't, don't do it, stop. I'm not going to ask you to do that. 
And not only does he just stop him, the angel of the Lord comes and the Lord gives a blessing to Abraham. So he blesses Abraham as well. And that actually, the, through the offspring of Abraham, all nations on earth will be blessed. So Abraham understood. That's why it's not a shock like it would be to us today, where child sacrifice is such an alien thing to us. So in a fantastic end to this story, an amazing end. But then we ask ourselves, well, why did God put Abraham through this? What was going on? Because if it was just a test, it seems a little strange. What kind of God asks a man as a test to sacrifice his son? Well, you see, the thing is, in this story, what we see is not this God, not our God, not the God that we serve. You see, the God that we serve isn't going to ask you to sacrifice your firstborn. Not our God, not the Judeo-Christian idea and understanding of God. And we have to see through the eyes of the people listening in that day how amazing that was to them. Because they're listening to this story of Abraham and Isaac that's been passed on through generations over all tradition. They're listening to it and at first everything seems familiar. Oh yeah, God asks you all to sacrifice your child. We understand that because the gods, you know, we always need to be in favour with the gods. We get that. So they understand the story. It's familiar to them. They see where it's going. Gods are never satisfied with us. We've got to give more. We've got to do more, etc., etc. And then, bam, in comes this amazing turn of events in this story because this God says stop this God says no I'm not going to ask you to do this I'm not going to ask you to sacrifice your child and for, uh, for a listener in the 18th century BC that was amazing this God doesn't want that no and not only that but this God this Judeo-Christian God this God will provide as well because the early listeners Their worship and sacrifice was all about giving to the gods. It was always about them giving to the gods. But this story was about God giving to Abraham. God providing for Abraham. It became a place where it said the Lord will provide. And God provided the sacrifice there for Abraham and Isaac. So this is a God that doesn't demand like the gods we understand. And this is a God who will provide for us. Which is amazing. And this is not about what Abraham could do for God, but it was way more about what God could do for Abraham and what God does for Abraham. This God doesn't demand. This God we don't need to please in the same way. This God is different. He gives. He blesses. This God doesn't get angry in the same way. But this God's intentions is for us to come to him, for us to to be blessed. And Abraham is invited to trust and to have faith in God and to stand on the promises that God is giving. You know, that word before just fitted really in in there when I was listening to it about an opening that God wants to give. A complete change in ideas here happening in this story, in the Abraham and Isaac. A shift in thinking for the people of that day. And people we told the story, and the story endured, because the true nature of God was being revealed. You see, they had this mixed-up idea of religion. They had a mixed-up idea of the gods, that they always had to please, that they always had to appease the gods, that the gods were demanding, that the gods would punish them. 
what more can we give? We've just got to give more. And there was this anxiousness within the religion. And God, from the outset of his word, is saying, I'm different. I am different to that. I want to invite you to come to me. I want to give to you. I want to provide for you. I won't demand in the same way. I am pleased with you as you are. A great revelation back then. But I wonder sometimes, and I know it's true in my life, that sometimes we need that revelation again. That revelation of really who God is. Because even though we're in a completely different age, a completely different setting, we have the scriptures now. But we forget sometimes that God, throughout his word, is trying to show us who he is. Trying to convey his love to us, his acceptance of us, his, his provision for us. And we can stand back in amazement at the people of that day that sacrificed their children. And we see it as primitive, we see it as archaic, it was an old, old-fashioned thing. Yes, okay. But I wonder whether we ever find ourselves in a similar situation with thoughts as well about God, not child sacrifice, but thoughts about God in the wrong way. Thoughts about God demanding more of us. Us having to appease God. Us having to be worthy enough. God not satisfied with us. And sometimes we can get into that same mindset with our God, even though we have all the scriptures here before us. When what God wants, really, is for us to know him more. Not necessarily do more, but just know him more. Because as we know him more, we are changed. As we know him more, we are transformed. And those things in our life that we're trying to get right and we're trying to do and we're trying to be this and we're trying to be that, that can happen when we enter into knowing God in his fullness and his goodness. Now, I'm not saying, and I would never say, the Christian life is not one of surrender and sacrifice. It is. It is about giving things up and submitting our lives wholeheartedly to God. But sometimes in that can come an offshoot where we have a constant nagging feeling that we aren't good enough for God, that we're not doing enough for God, that we don't pray enough, read our Bibles enough, do whatever it is, enough for God, and we, we can just keep giving a bit more because we're anxious that God's not quite satisfied and an anxiety is bred in us. And what God says is, it's not about doing more, but it's about coming to know me more and understanding God's nature more. I don't think what, when God demands more of us, it's quite sometimes in the way we think it is. What I love is this passage in Ezekiel chapter 47. And if you've got your Bibles, um, I'd like to turn to it. In Ezekiel 47, um, there's this picture, this vision. And I think it depicts just lovely this idea of God wanting us to, be, um, to know him more and to go into the fullness of who he is in greater detail. And... And you'll know it, it's about the river from the temple. And it says this, The man brought me back to the entrance to the temple and I saw water coming out from under the threshold of the temple toward the east, for the temple faced east. The water was coming down from under the south side of the temple, south of the altar. He then brought me out through the north gate and led me around the outside to the outer gate, facing east, and the water was trickling from the south side. 
And as the man went eastward with a measuring line in his hand, he measured off a thousand cubits and then led me through water that was ankle deep. Then he measured off another thousand cubits and led me through water that was knee deep. Then he measured off another thousand and led led me through water that was up to my waist. And he measured off another thousand, but now it was a river and I could not cross because the water had risen and was deep enough to swim in, a river that no one could cross. He asked me, son of man, do you see this? Do you see what's happening? We're on the edge of the river. And will you go a little further to your ankles? Will you go a little further to your knees? Will you go a little further to your waist? Will you go a little further till you're submerged in the water? And I think when God says more, I want more of you, what he's saying to us is that I want you to to go deeper. I want you to go uh, further. The, the, The river's wide. The river's big. And Ezekiel is encouraged to go deeper into it a stepping out in the fullness that God has. Not necessarily giving more, but that there is more for us to experience. Sometimes we can be so satisfied and content with where we're at with God. And God is so much bigger, has so much more. We can do so much more as we go deeper into the river. We are changed as we know God, as we read his word, as we see insight into the nature of God and how he is revealed to us. It changes us. Because just take, for example, as we see the grace of God, as we get impacted by the grace of God in our life, it makes us more gracious. Because we see how, you know, we wouldn't be anywhere without the grace of God. So we've got the grace of God that completely changes my life and transforms me to be more gracious to people. Because I don't deserve God's grace. So the more we know, the more we experience, then those things in our life that we might struggle with, that we want to get right, begin to shift and change a little bit more. It's not always about just doing more to please God. God's already pleased with us. Sometimes we just need that new revelation, perhaps like the people back then did. God isn't demanding and punishing like that. He's one who provides and gives and blesses and wants to do that if we allow him to. A God who calls us deeper. The one who wants us to draw near to him. There's this continual revelation of God through his word that is saying, I want you to draw near to me. Do you ever wonder why Leviticus is in the Bible? Anybody? You look at Leviticus and you think to yourself, well, I don't know. If you've ever managed to read Leviticus in one sitting, I applaud you for doing that. Okay? Has anyone ever been able to read Leviticus in one sitting? Good. I'm glad about that. It makes me feel better. But Leviticus is a tough book, and I begin reading Leviticus, and usually an hour later, I am face-planted in the Bible, um, and I wake up and think, ooh, what's going on here? Because there's this offering, there's that offering, there's blood being drained, there's tearing, opening of birds' wings, there's livers, there's kidneys, there's blood here, there, everywhere. I'll stop there. Don't want to get too gruesome. But it is in the Bible. That's what's in Leviticus. And you read it, and you think, well, what is all that about? But you know what? That's why I love the Word of God so much. Because nothing's in there for an accident. Nothing's in there to get us to sleep when we can't sleep at night. Although, it could be good. But everything in the Word of God is purposive. Everything has a reason. Everything has a purpose for being in there. God is trying to tell us who he is. He's trying to convey a message to us about who he is, about the nature of himself. 
And if we only take a little time to see it, wow, will we be amazed at God. These stories that we've known for so long, they get an insight into God. It's amazing. So the book of Leviticus, it starts with the Lord, the name of the Lord, connected to the one who rescues. And in the first few sentences, it says this, when you bring an offering to the Lord, and then it goes on, burnt offerings, peace offerings, all these different offerings, whatever it is. When you bring an offering to the Lord, the word offering there is the Hebrew word, korban. And that Hebrew word means draw near. We don't have an English word that can quite match it. So we use offering, we use sacrifice. But the word in Hebrew literally means to draw near, to approach. So God is saying, when you draw near to me, when you approach me, it even means more than this, it means this, to become closely involved in a relationship with another. Wow. Right from the outset in Leviticus, these people, these 18th century BC people, thinking, God is saying to draw near to him, to approach him. He wants to have a close relationship with me, this God. That's amazing. That is amazing. It would have blown their minds. The gods that they knew were distant. The gods that they knew were detached. The gods that they knew demanded things. They needed to be appeased. You never knew where you stood with them. But this God was different. This God, our God, is different. And here at the outset of Leviticus, you've got God instructing the people about offerings. He's revealing to them that they can draw near to him. He wants a relationship with them. He wants to know them. He wants them to approach. And they didn't understand the gods to be like that. Such a new revelation. This God is different. Do we know that? Our God is different. Our God is the God that calls us to draw near, to approach him, who wants to relate to us. We can relate to this God. You know, the reason why God set all these rules and things out in Leviticus was for the people, not for him. It was tools for the people to connect with God. God didn't need all the offerings. God didn't need all the animal sacrifices. He didn't need all that. But the people were so bound up and used to that, God had to find a way that they would understand that they could come and connect with him. And so he puts in place all these times and regulations. But really what is happening there, it's a trying to wean the people out of this idea so that eventually you get to Jesus. Amazing. But he couldn't have just done it straight away. They needed to be taken on a journey through the Old Testament to get to this ultimate sacrifice and understand that of Jesus. So God puts this in place, this offering system. What he's really trying to say is, look, through all of this, people, you can draw near to me. Through all of this, you can approach me. I'm a God who is approachable. I'm a God who wants to know you. A God who wants to be involved in your life, in your situations. I'm not distant. I'm not demanding, but I'm here for you. I could go on about the significance of Leviticus, but I'm going to stop because we've all got dinner in the oven, I'm sure. But it's so amazing and mind-blowing. Do we ever feel that God's far away? Do we ever feel that God's distant? That God's remote? That God's not going to bother with me? That I'm not worthy? That God's angry? That I haven't done enough? Let's open our eyes today. 
to see what his word is saying. That he wants us to draw near. That he's a God that can be approached. A God that wants to provide. A God that wants to give. A God that wants to bless and rescue us. We need to sometimes just throw off the concept at times that we have of God and who he is and understand that he's way bigger than we can ever think or imagine and he has way more than we could ever desire for us. Are we going to be people today to embrace the river, to go deeper, to discover more, to be changed and transformed? We can take that step to draw near to God. We have that great way to get to God that he makes us worthy. Let's not be content with thinking that we've sussed it all out because sometimes we just haven't. God's bigger, he's wider, he's deeper. Hosea 6 says, God says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, an acknowledgement of God rather than burnt sacrifice. I desire mercy, God says. And an acknowledgement of God. What does that mean? An understanding of God that leads to obedience. An understanding. How are we going to get the understanding? Let's go further into the river of God. Let's open up his word. Dive into it. Explore it. Know it. Let it be a part of our life to change us. You know, I get so frustrated with my Christian life sometimes that I battle with the same old things, the same old problems, the same old issues, the same old sin, whatever it is. And I just pray in God, so take it away from me. You know, make me better. Make me a better person. And I come to his word and I read his word and I see the revelation in it and I think that's what's going to change me. That's what's going to transform my life. Going deeper into the river, knowing God more, not standing and saying, God, just take it from me. Actually spending time to know God's nature as we know God's nature, so we are transformed. This is God, our God, your God. The God who will give to you. The God who loves you and wants to know you and wants to be in relationship with you. The God you can approach. The God that is is delighted to see you. And he will give and bless. Can I invite the worship group to, to come back? And as we sing our final song this morning... Let's just open our eyes, our heart, our mind to God who through these wonderful stories in the Old Testament and the accounts has taught us what it is to know God. Who's teaching us that we can draw near to him. That he wants us to draw near. We don't have to tick all the boxes. God knows our frailties and our failings. God wants to give to us and he wants to provide for us if we allow him to do that and bless us. Father God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the richness of it. I thank you for the way that it inspires, the way it grabs a hold of our life to change us and to transform us. I thank you that every part of your word is there for us to see who you really are to teach us about your nature and give us true revelation of your character. Lord, I ask that as we look into your word and know you more, that we will be changed because of it. Lord, I pray that we would take that step to go deeper and further with you. 
Not always to give more in the sense of that nagging feeling that we're not doing enough, but just know you more and experience you more. God, I pray you give us boldness to do that. Lord, I pray for anyone here this morning, anyone here who feels that you are distant from them, that you've forgotten about them, that you're removed from their situation. Lord, I pray today they will know that you are there, that you are the God who gives and provides and blesses. God, I pray for anyone here today who feels that they just never cut it, that they're just not quite good enough for you. I pray today you'll release them from that feeling. May they know how much you think of them, how much you delight in them, how much you are for them and not against them. May they know your love and comfort. Lord, I pray anyone here today who works with an anxiety-based religion, Lord, I pray would be released from anxiety. But what would spur us on for more of you would be because we have a revelation of who you are. Lord, let that be the spur of our lives, not the sense that we feel guilty and we need to do more, but because we love you and you change us. God, release us from work-based, tick-boxes, religion. And Lord, I pray that when we come to your word, your word may excite us and take us deeper into you. God, give us wisdom and give us insight. Lord, we don't need you to come and speak new things. You've spoken everything in this word. And it's there for us. I pray, God, you'd give us a new passion, a new desire to know it to love it, to let it infiltrate our lives so that we live it. God, we love you. And it's all about you. Lord, can we approach you today with confidence? Because we know that the God that we serve is set apart, is different is a God who gives and a God who loves and is gracious towards us. Jesus, give us a new revelation today, I pray. Thank you for listening to this free download from Delancey Elam Church. For more downloads, information or to contact us, please visit our website at delanceyelam.co.uk.